1: welcome back to the art of charm podcast i am aj and i am johnny and for the last 11 years we've been hosting the art of charm podcast and live impersonal programs that help with building social skills strengthening your confidence getting through anxiety and strengthening your relationship skills now we have a very
0: exciting announcement to make we've been hard at work over the last couple months rebuilding our social skills challenge. Now, some of you listening may have participated in the old challenge. We're going to be launching a new challenge, including that private Facebook group on April 1st. We're really excited because these new social skills challenge are CBT-backed, that's cognitive behavioral therapy-backed, strategies to help you break outside of your comfort zone and start to overcome some of that social anxiety you may be feeling So stay tuned. April 1st, we're relaunching the challenge. Very excited about that. Today's episode, we're talking about mental models and frameworks. And some of you listening are going to wonder, what the heck is that? So we're going to break down what we mean by that. We're going to talk about where they come from, how we absorb these mental models and frameworks over the years. And Johnny and I are going to share some backstory on how we develop the mental models and frameworks that we use now in our daily lives to give you a little bit of color behind who you're listening to here on the Art of Charm podcast. Now, if you'd like to learn more about our social skills training in person here in Los Angeles, you can check out theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp for more information. Now, special shout out to a show fan, Bruno. We have a story to share later in this episode, so Please email us stories, questions, how you're utilizing the content from these recent Toolbox episodes. You can send me an email, AJ at The Art of Charm. We'll be answering questions on future episodes as well and giving some shout outs to the fans.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Toolbox episode, Mental Models and Frameworks.
0: These Mental Models and Frameworks, one of the reasons we wanted to discuss them today is because... It's going to give you a little bit of color to our background. And I know after releasing the value episodes and having some appearances on the show in its early years, as an audience, you've heard some of our stories, but we want to give you a little bit more perspective into the way that we think and how we've developed in our personal journey into self-development when we realized that some of our mental models and frameworks that we were passed down through families and our environment back home, how they were failing us, so to speak, as we got older. And it led us to try to work on ourselves to improve our outlook and ultimately our results in life.
1: Yeah, we will also point out how those models and frameworks that we had gotten early in life also benefited us to a point as well. And discussing this with the hopes that you'll be able to look back into your life and maybe put some pieces together and perhaps find some blind spots or some outdated frameworks that are not benefiting you anymore uh, so you can adopt new ones that allow you to be to push you forward rather than hold you back. Now, when we're talking about mental models, we mean our beliefs about
0: ourselves, the world around us and everything in it. It's essentially how we perceive the world. And these are built up over time, starting with us as children, right? Our parents present their mental models to us. And these psychological representations of the real, hypothetical, or imaginary systems are how we reason our way through things. They form our logic and ultimately our belief system on how the world works. And you
1: can't help but put models together. So, whether you're deciding to do it or not, it's happening. So, by being conscious, of how you're putting these structures together, that gives you some power over them. You can allow these to be built without your conscious thought, and you could easily adapt ones that hold you back. And the thing is, is that no mental model is complete.
0: We're only working with our perception of reality, and science is now starting to show that our perception of reality might not even be reality. It (laughs) might just be natural selection working for our survival. So we're only perceiving what's
1: important to our survival, not necessarily what's truly reality. And the thing about it is to understand how like all the systems roles, including economic systems, and for myself, the more I study evolutionary processes when it comes to natural selection, when it comes to economics, when it comes to infrastructure, and there's an evolutionary process to everything, and what you had just said, I mean that to me sounds on the money on a lot of things because I mean that's what got us to this point now, and as we said in value. Uh, Evolution is responsible for all the best parts about us and all All the worst worst parts parts
0: about us. So now we're going to delve into how these models both help us and hold us back because all of these models we're discussing are incomplete. They're just the best tools we have for the job to understand our reality around us. And unhelpful models can lead us to make bad decisions, can lead us to view things in a negative light that perception can actually hold us back. And then helpful models can help us move forward in life. And over the years, we've realized that some of our older models were helpful during that period of our lives through our childhood to get us forward, allow us to really dive into what we're passionate about, dive into schoolwork, etc. But at the time that we got a little older, we matured, we realized that some of these models were actually hindering us from the growth that we were looking for. So being able to identify what mental models you're working from what frameworks you're using to perceive reality is helpful. And then if there are ways for you to seek out newer, more improved models and frameworks to help you perceive the world
1: in a way that's more empowering. Well, the two things that we're going to be discussing today on our mental models is we're going to be looking at two things, well, three. We're going to be looking at the environment that we were raised in and how we got models from that, you know, a lot of that is our parents and our neighbors' what we families, grew up, yeah. communities. And then the next set of models is your field of study, which starts to train you some other ways of looking at it. And then lastly, being able to detach from both of those and look at those models subjectively. To find out which ones are actually working to benefit us and which ones are holding us back.
0: Our mental models are made up of past experiences, misunderstandings, incomplete facts, or intuitive perceptions. So this is a lot of stuff to unpack in the way that we perceive the world. And we're going to do our best today to unpack our models that we've picked up over the years for you. The big thing here is, and Johnny's pointed out, right, a lot of this stuff is going to come from our family at first because that's who we're spending the most time with during our developmental years. So as we're growing up or being raised by our families, we're going to pick up our moms, our dads, mental models and perceptions of the world, especially when we discuss events that happen to us, right? They're going to help us break down and perceive events that are happening in our young adult lives or even our young lives.
1: Also, I mean, we can see in the world that we live in today, just how different the world we live in compared to our parents, right? And so obviously those models need to change with the times. And if you go back two generations, how different those models
0: are. A perfect example is I go back home to Michigan to visit my family and I'm so used to using Uber and Lyft here in Los Angeles. It's just a no brainer. I pull out my phone and I instantly have a car. I don't even think about it. But in Michigan, especially the part that my family is in, when I go back to visit, they lose their mind when I say (laughs) I'm getting in a stranger's car and he's going to drive me from point A to point B and I've never met this person. They're like, what is wrong with you? Are you out of your mind? And I go, well, no. They do background checks, and da da da. They're like, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. So even in the short amount of time that I've been an adult, my mental model has shifted in the way yeah, that yeah. I view interaction with technology. I view interaction with strangers. Right. The sharing economy is is a new phenomenon that our parents and their parents certainly were not getting in strangers' cars to get from point A to point
1: B. You said something interesting there about when you go back home, the difference. You know, we definitely know from where we grew up in small towns to a large city. The model you adopt to get along in a small community is so much different than the model you adopt to thrive in a large city such as Los Angeles or New York. Yeah. Just locking your doors. Yes. Right. Growing up. Never did that. But here in the city, you better
0: believe it. You double <laughs> deadbolt lock everything. Right. The closer we are to other humans, the more protective we are of our assets, our homes. So these are interesting phenomenon that we've experienced from moving, from going to school, from carrying different jobs. But it all started with our family. So I'd love to just start out by explaining some of the earliest mental models that Johnny and I picked up. And I think what's so interesting about this is obviously a lot of people look at us, two entirely different backgrounds. You're the music guy, the creative guy. I come from a science background. And we always call this the question. Yeah. Whenever we meet people for the first time in a business developmental setting, maybe we're pitching an idea, or we're trying to work together on a partnership. They love the, the pitch. They love what they hear. And the next question out of their mouths is always, okay, that's great. But how do you two know each other? And we always laugh about it because our mental models have so much overlap from our youth, the way that we were raised being from blue collar towns in the Rust
1: Belt. To go along with that, for doing this company in the last 11 years, there was that blue collar background that we're going to be discussing, but also the new models that we had to adopt to make this company successful. We had to learn that together. So that's always a wonderful thing. So the overlap in the models is
0: what's so interesting to me, because I know that's one of the reasons that Johnny and I are so close, such good friends and business partners. On the outside, a lot of people are always scratching their heads <laughs> okay. how we get along so well and how that is. So this earliest model that we picked up, this blue collar mindset, obviously the recent election events have brought a lot of spotlight on the Rust Belt. What's going on in these manufacturing hubs in the Midwest that used to pump out the U.S.'s economy, jobs, American dreams for a lot of older generations, right? The baby boomer generations. And when we were growing up, we saw this community, this experience crumbling, the American dream being ripped out of this community from jobs leaving overseas to people looking at holy crap, you know, I didn't go to college and now I'm not guaranteed a career just because I got a job at Ford Motor.
1: When you live in the Rust Belt for generations, it was always the same thing. You'll finish high school and you'll either end up in one of the Ford plan or for me, it was PPG or the still and you'll enter in one of those fields and that's where you'll stay until you get your gold watch and you're retired. And for generations, that was the case. And if you didn't go in the factories, then you were obviously going into the military or into college.
0: One of my earliest memories of family events and family reunions were the discussion around pensions and our grandparents getting to their retirement and how things were so guaranteed for them, right? They were looking forward to their retirement. The company was going to take care of them because they put in all this hard work for that company. We started to see through our youth this whole idea of pension, support from your community and support from your
1: workplace, your career evaporate you're talking about pensions one of the things that i remember being discussed was all the plants were closing down so the 70s pittsburgh that area was pretty filthy was an industry setting but those plants started closing down and the conversation at reunions or family get-togethers or christmas was who's getting laid off this week or last week or next month and what plant is closing down here watching them as like dominoes fall and of course, what we've seen
0: since, right, is the cratering out of the community, the cratering out of this whole idea of the American dream, and a lot of despair in these areas that we were raised. So when we go back to visit, we obviously left to start the company. We pick up on a lot of this despair from our friends and family who stayed there. And it, it is really disappointing. But these models and frameworks that we built up over the years through our family and their modeling of reality and perception always came back to hard work. The grab a lunch pail, get to work, fire away in that nine to five. And as long as you lean in and work harder than everyone else, you're guaranteed success in life. And that was something that I remember from two, three years old, just that lunch pail mentality through and through. And even when things were not going our way, my dad's response to everything was, well, Pick up a second job, work harder. You just got to lean in even more. That's what you got to do.
1: And to go along with that, it was life isn't fair and it is hard and you're going to have to get tough and you're going to have to persevere. And that was fine. That was just how it rolls. And you will build up those calluses to that work and that ethic and you will take some pride in being that hard worker. That's great and fine when those jobs are there. Exactly. And it worked (laughs) great for my grandfather who was a janitor, worked his way up to a
0: manager, and it worked fine for my dad until I honestly became a teenager. And then people started losing their jobs. And that's when my dad's mental framework started to shift towards, holy crap, I didn't get an education. And that's why I'm screwed with no life raft. So he switched gears and started leaning on me and my sister to go to college, go to graduate school. And it dovetailed nicely with my goal, my dream at the time of becoming a doctor. And my dad even nicknamed me his 401k A because he was so adamant that I was going to go to graduate school, get an MD and become successful. And, And my education was going to protect me from the American dream robbery that was happening to his friends, coworkers, and family members who didn't go to college, who didn't get that education. That whole value system around education and hard work was ingrained in me through my youth. And I felt that that was the way to win. That was the way to succeed. Until I got to
1: college. And I know your experience was very similar, Johnny. Growing up in that area, my dad worked in a PPG, Pittsburgh plate glass. They made windshields for cars. And he worked in the furnace area where the presses would come down to bend the glass into the correct molds. My mom was a hairdresser. And so that was a very blue collar family. I remember growing up with every crazy, you know, a perm or a feathered or a body wave. Remember, this is late 70s, early 80s. So. But, you know, not only was my dad preaching that hard lunch pal work ethic sort of thing, but it was also pumped through the media. Like our sports teams, even they had that facade, like the 70s Steelers was all about a blue collar lunch pal football team that you can get behind who are doing the same amount of work, if not more than you're doing in that factory. And so there was all that pride around that. And you can imagine you know, when those plants started closing down, the steel mills, the coal mines, and the Pittsburgh Play glass closed down when I was a teenager. And now all of a sudden, you know, you kind of start looking around getting cynical of what you had been fed, what you had been told. You grow to learn the responsibility and the effort that it took when perhaps family's getting divorced, the factory is closed down, he has two raging hormone teenage kids, just all the work that he did to put that together. For myself, because it was such a work ethic blue collar household, it wasn't a very expressive household. I would say because if I was to complain about something, my dad would say, "If you want to talk like that, talk like that around your mother, right?" I just spent ten hours in a factory bending glass in a furnace. I want to hear what your whining, about. complaining <laughs> excuses
0: were not an option, and those people were looked down upon. As coworkers, as friends, the camaraderie that my dad had built in his job, the people that sloughed off, the people that just counted down the hours and minutes, they were made fun of. They were not the people that were accepted in this community. It was that hard work. You got to lean in. You got to squeeze out as much as you possibly can from work. And that's how you derive any benefit.
1: If you were in any sort of community or team, that those people can rely on you, which is also very important. And- No matter how I viewed it as a child, I still couldn't help but seep it into my own DNA of how I was going about doing things. And so for myself, at 21, I had an opportunity to move to North Carolina and begin my music career, and I went at it in that exact fashion with tenacity and stubbornness. And if I wanted to get something done, I would keep working at it till those dominoes fell just keep running into that wall. If you run into enough times, it will bust down. So it was a very aggressive way of going about things. And
0: here's the the best part, right? Our models drive our actions, but it's also conversely true so that our actions build our models. So this is reinforcing, right? Our dads were like, lean in harder, outwork the next person, put your head down, stop complaining. And those are the actions that they forced us to follow, which then started to shape our mental models of the world. So anytime we saw a problem, anytime we saw a challenge, we said, I got to outwork the other guy. If he's getting in, then I got to work twice as hard as him. I got to lean in. I got to stay longer. That's how I'm going to fight my way through this.
1: You can imagine how good of a model that is when you do work at the plant.
0: Right, because there is this layer where everyone is equal, right? If everyone's working the plant floor, we're all equal. The only way to get ahead is to outwork the next guy, pull those overtime shifts, show the boss that you're here, you can be relied on. But then when the work starts evaporating, all of a sudden, it's not about outworking the other person. It's about working smarter and having the network and having the connections and the relationships. And those mental models didn't arise for me. And I know for you too, Johnny
1: until we hit the big city. It was me working on that when I get to North Carolina and start realizing that the way I worked was putting people off. It was, if we're going to do this, then we're going to need to rehearse every day. And if we're going to rehearse every day, it needs to be three to four hours at a clip. And that's like, I'm fine with that, right? But other people are like, "Yo, bro, I have a job." I'm like, "Well, you're gonna need to take less hours because we got this band." I don't think you're committed. I don't think you're committed because that was how I was raised to see things. And granted, that had afforded me to do some really cool things, playing in different countries, going on tour, making some records, and that was great. But there, there seemed to be this glass ceiling that I just couldn't get through. And I also had noticed how difficult. I was making some of these things because of that view.
2: Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a
0: challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi.
2: Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify.
0: That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch
2: What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow,
0: Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
2: Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify.
0: Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. It's so funny because you have this mental model and you stick with it until it stops giving you results. And then you really struggle. You're like, wait a second, reality is not what I thought it was gonna be. And then you have two choices. You feel bad for yourself, become the, blame the world, blame the world, or you look for better tools. You couldn't have said that any better. That's what happened, right? We got to New York and all of a sudden we were working our tails off to build this company and to prove a lot of our doubters wrong who didn't believe in a podcast, thought coaching guys to be better, chatting up people was a waste of time, it was immature. We believed in it. We were outworking what we thought our competitors were doing, but we still weren't getting results. And I started to pick up on this paradigm shift in myself personally when I got to graduate school and I saw, man, I didn't have the soft skills necessary to wow people. So if I was doing as much work as everyone else, but I wasn't getting results, then I was lacking in some area. And I realized that I wasn't winning any friends in the lab and I started to feel imposter syndrome. So that made me shut down even more. When I finally dropped out of the PhD program, devastating my dad, moving to New York to pursue the company and this whole idea of a podcast into a business, I leaned in, same model I had in graduate school, tried to get results, and it wasn't getting us results. We were struggling in New York City in the beginning. And New York is not an easy place to start a business, number one. Number two, we picked the economic downturn as the genesis of uh, starting a company in coaching when everyone was losing their disposable income. But I started to see from successful people around us that it was more about who you knew in the city of New York than how much you made or how successful you were based on the metrics that I thought drove success in Michigan. So I started to see people in New York City who knew everyone had access to things that I never had access to and who didn't seem to be working that hard, who didn't seem to be doing all the things that I thought mattered to be successful.
1: You know, it's funny you should say that because when I had gotten to New York and looking around, the first thing I thought is, how does anyone survive in this town artist-wise, right? Because you're not going to be making much money. You're going to be working in the service industry. Obviously, we all understand how expensive it is to live in New York and just how expensive day-to-day life is, even food and groceries. But The artists that I did know who did live in New York, they had it mapped out. They were very social. They knew people places. So if they wanted to go out for a night of drinking, they would make sure that they would go to their buddy's bar. They're going to where they were getting hooked up and they were getting hooked up a lot because it was also a network of artists who were all taking care of each other and supported each other. And that's what it took to live in New York in the 2000s being an artist. Yeah. So if
0: you were buying your band t-shirts, you were going to this guy's shop and then this guy was going to your bar to buy his drinks and this shared economy and this idea of social capital where it's now not about the money in your pocket, but about the relationships you have is really how you get ahead in a major city. And that was eye-opening for me, especially because I thought, man, we're putting in all this hard work the doors to success are right around the corner. It's going to be easy. And then we get to New York. It ain't easy. It started to drive me batty because I thought my dad was right. There's no way you could start a business with your friends. I was wrong for leaving graduate school. I picked the wrong career. And all of a sudden, we fell into this idea of giving value taking care of the people around us, and it started to shift what was going on in New York from a social life, from a friendship and ability to build networks. And all of a sudden, we started to view the world as not something that was out to get us, which is a lot of the mindset that was coming
1: from our Midwest background, but instead a world full of opportunity. Well, I think what made it, I wouldn't say easy, but that we were able to work through it is that when we got to New York, we were already with the understanding that we were open to new models and those ideas and were willing to try different things. And in order to get to that place, you made mention of you usually get there when the models don't work anymore, but then you have that choice. Do I get angry at the world and give up or do I look for new models? And I remember for myself where I got to the point where not only were they not the models that I had not working, I feel like I'm just grinding against this wall. It's just that I mentioned that glass ceiling that it just kept banging against it. And it's just, for the first time in my life, no matter how hard I attacked it, it just, this one's not going anywhere. So I was like, well, is this it? And it wasn't too, I got so frustrated with everything. The band I was in was kind of falling apart. And not only that, the industry in which I wanted to work my entire life, the music industry, was crumbling. So it's at that point, I was like, well, I don't even know what is what anymore. So I'm going to start over. And so in doing that is where I first got a taste uh, in my mid to late 20s of self-development and that there were other models. Like the first thing that blew my mind that opened the doors (laughs) to all of this was the idea that happiness was something I could just be. Up until that point, happiness was something I had to pursue. Right. It was the end result. It It was the end result. It was not the process. And so when I learned the idea that that wasn't the case and that I could just be happy, the doors of everything blew apart. And this glass ceiling that I hadn't been able to get through, not only did I roll right through it, it didn't even exist. Right. It disappeared. To go along with maybe my little bit of obsessive personality, you give me a few wins in a direction and that's all I need. I'm, I'm all in. If changing a few things can just allow me to be happy on a day-to-day basis, well, what other small things can I implement in my life to make these changes? And that's what led me into self-development. And not only that, just an incredible, amazing opportunities all around me that I never saw there. And just in weeks of adopting a couple new models or refiguring them, I was getting offered higher profile band gigs and higher profile bar management gigs. At that point, I just needed a break from all that because I had enough. I was down the road of, of absorbing everything in psychology, philosophy, and self-development in hopes of developing new models that would allow doors to be open. And for me, in moving to New York, the book that kept coming
0: on my radar over and over again was How to Win Friends and People yeah, by Dale Carnegie. And that one blew the doors off of my models and frameworks for me. because. As an introvert, as someone who was so focused on my thoughts and feelings and feeling nervous around people and not having all the energy, just the simple fact of changing my viewpoint of giving people value and focusing on them, because that's the most interesting thing in their world, made conversation flow easier, and it changed a lot of the results and feedback I was getting from people. So I went from being labeled as an arrogant introvert, because I was quiet and I chose not to really put the spotlight on other people. And when I did talk about myself in conversation, it came off as braggadocious to focusing solely on the other person in conversation, what derives their value, what allows them to feel comfortable making that adjustment, opened up this whole new world to me where people were now crowing, loving conversations with me. And I became memorable for the right reasons instead of the wrong reasons. And that's what's so important to realize why we're choosing this topic. These are choices we make. The models we utilize to view reality, to model our perceptions and beliefs off of, they're choices. And we can stick with bad models. We can stick with poorly crafted models that were handed to us by environment, nurturing, family, or we can pursue better models that allow us to get what we want out of life. And that choice, I think for a lot of people is unclear. It's clouded because when you surround yourself with everyone who has the same shared viewpoint and model, which is what I had in Michigan.
1: Well, community creates belief. Exactly.
0: And my community belief was, you don't start a business with friends. You go work for someone else. You make that other person happy and they give you a fat paycheck and a pension and you raise a family. That's what you do. You don't go out on your own
1: and try to start something and certainly not with friends. That's not gonna work. You know, one of the things that I think makes it difficult for people is, and I think it's just a part of American tradition where you, for most people, you have a sense of pride in where you were born and raised. And because of that, you don't want to hold it responsible for negative parts of your life, for negative beliefs and ideas and these frameworks. So when you're trying to figure out what's going on to go there, you're like, "Why? Well, that's a sacred cow. I can't touch that. So now you're just going to get angry at the world. However, just because of the community environment you grew up in may have been responsible for some bad ideas, it's also responsible for some good ones. And that's what you want to be aware of and take those into the world, but with an opportunity to look at new models and frameworks that will create those opportunities. And one of the biggest ones that we talk about here a lot on the show is
0: abundance versus scarcity. And what Johnny and I talked about earlier, we literally saw our community go from abundance There's nothing but factory jobs. Your path to success in the American dream is paved with golden opportunity to immediately these jobs are leaving. This is scarcity. It's every man for himself. I got to feed my family. And when you see a community go through that switch and how quickly things can go the other way, it does make you start to question, well, how responsible am I for that switch? And can I choose the right switches to allow me to feel good in these moments? And having that opportunity is what we're trying to give you listening to the show today, because it took us years and years of struggling with poor models, poor mindsets, and not getting results to even realize this. And I have friends back in Michigan now
1: who may never realize this, who are not open to this idea. I'm still so obsessed with it that I spend all of my time doing research trying to find better ways to tweak models. It's an interesting key to life. But also, it's just, just extremely fascinating to me. And what I really enjoy about AOC is learning about all these different models from all these different walks of life, from all of our different clients, whether it be from the Navy SEALs, who have probably the most just kick-ass, cow's mind of determination, to the kid who grew up with a perfectionism issues, right? And these are all stem from different models that they have put together for themselves to maneuver through the world. And here we are having a conversation of just how ours of being pretty different people, how similar they were and how we arrived at similar answers through different paths.
0: Yeah. And over the last three episodes, we've shared what we think is our most important model that we've learned along the years of giving value. Becoming a high-value person to allow other people to feel good around you, that's a cheat code in life that took us a number of years to discover. And with these poor models that we've picked up along the way, I want to ask you, Johnny, how can we, one, realize that the models we have been given, the models we grew up with are not a good fit for us, and what can we do to start to shift those models?
1: The first thing is, if you feel that you're stuck and that you've plateaued and you can't figure out how to move forward is the first sign that you have an outdated model. And as a young man, one of the things I hated most of all, and I think this just has to be with a young, angry man who, who wants the world in his hands, stagnation just seemed like the worst thing in the world. There's no movement at all. And being a young man, I'd rather burn everything to the ground and have another run at it than stagnate. Than be stuck. Than be stuck. Because I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just a panic. So it's like, well, maybe I just need to run at this wall a little harder. Let's burn everything down and start from scratch, right? Like, quit my job, break up with my girlfriend. It's now back to the grind. We're going to figure this out. That is the old model,
0: right? Right. What I love about that metaphor, right, of just running into the wall So the models that our families gave us, our community gave us said, you got to accelerate harder. Yeah. You You get to New York (laughs) and you realize that people in New York, they're building ladders to get over the wall. There's no running into the wall. We just climb over the wall. And that's what happens when you shift your model. What was an obstacle can actually turn into an opportunity. And that was something that was bizarre to me until I got to New York and The key here that we're driving home is when you feel that despair, when you feel that frustration with the results you're getting out of life, that's a good time to take a step back and look at how are you perceiving life's events? And I know during the boot camp, we wait till Friday to get into this heady stuff. So we start the week really focused on nonverbal communication, getting you feeling good in your body language and understanding
1: how to read other people's body language. Because it's easier to act your way into thinking than think your way into acting. So we got to take care of the conscious body language stuff first. But Friday,
0: we have this list of cognitive distortions. And what's so amazing is here we have all of these guys from around the world. Thankfully, this podcast is international. So we have a global presence. And it's been so fascinating to have guys from the Middle East, military guys who've been down in South America, guys from Asia, and our guys in the Midwest flying in to sit on the couch in LA, and everyone having the shared cognitive distortion of perfectionism, of catastrophizing. And it doesn't matter what your background is. These mental models can lead to the same framework for everyone (laughs) and frustration. So taking control of this and not becoming a victim and blaming the world, but saying, hey, there are other ways to view this
1: that can empower me instead of holding me back. So I made mention that the first way to find out if your models are outdated is if you feel that you're stuck. I would say the second symptom of that is your relationships with other people continually fall apart. You know, you get some friends and you're hanging out, then all of a sudden those calls start drying up. And if that's a constant, then once again, there's something wrong in the models where you're, it's keeping people from connecting with you or being pushed away. I certainly know that I was able, through the way I thought about things in my early 20s, to push people away just of how I view things. Because for me, it was, once again, that blue-collar work ethic. If you're we going to be in my band, we need to rehearse this many times, these many hours. Uh, you need to get your priorities straight.
0: <laughs> for me, when I started to view relationships as being more beneficial than hard work, so that model shift happened in New York. Then, unfortunately, I swung the pendulum too far on relationships, and I looked at everything transactionally. What can this guy who's giving me his business card do for the art of charm? Oh, he can't do anything? Well, throw the business card out. I don't need to deal with that guy. Even in the realizing that, hey, this model's not working, Albert Einstein said it best, to break a mental model is harder than splitting an atom. When your mental model is not giving you results, it can be difficult to just drop it and then move on and try to seek out another mental model. And in the process, sometimes we can choose another ill-fitting model that leads to even worse results, which leads to frustration.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's so important to be open to the idea that there's many different ways to skin a cat. There's many different ways to going about it. To be able to put on a different mental model and give it a chance and work with it and be open to it, of course, being wrong. Because the other thing about these frameworks and models is if yours is broke and you realize that, and it's easy to beat yourself up about it and then start to go, well, what else is wrong? And if you go in that direction, then all of a sudden, your all your walls of reality can come crashing down and that can be quite scary, especially if you don't have anything to replace it with. I think that's where people slip and... As Jordan Peterson would say, like, that puts you in your own chaos, right? And sometimes we can't get out of it. And that chaos, also, that's where a lot of depression comes from.
0: And that's also where a lot of these negative groups utilize their models. exactly. To find people who've lost faith in their models and feel lost and feel unsupported. These issues that we're seeing on a societal level are when these models are breaking down and an easy solution is to find a mental model that blames everyone else for your problems. That's an easy one to adopt in a situation where there is trauma, there is suffering, there is stress.
1: And what else is interesting about that is in those groups, there are people who are more angry than you are. So it makes you feel much better. You're like, wow, at least I'm not. All right. My life was bad, but holy cow. But now misery loves company. company. Yeah, it loves company. And now you're like, okay, well, I fit in because I don't like that group either, or I don't like this thing either. And there's people around me who are even more upset, and they're going to raise hell. And we can raise hell together. And now all of a sudden, I have belonging again. I have something to work towards again. And so it's easy to throw that script in and just start going off of it. And you're exactly right. I mean, that is why we're seeing a lot of these societal problems.
0: Going from scarcity mindset in the Midwest to this idea that, wow, networks really matter, but taking the wrong viewpoint of networks matter at a transactional level, only matter as much as you could help me, leads to what really happened when we got to LA. And this was a big part for me. When we got to LA, the business was struggling. We left New York and we made a bunch of mistakes. We lost a lot of employees and staff and we were financially unstable and we got to LA and... I was freaking out and I felt for the first time that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew, and I didn't have the tools to be successful in business. And I was very fortunate that we went to an event and I found a mentor, someone who had built a number of successful businesses, took interest in our business model and started giving me some advice, some feedback, and essentially showing me some new ways to look at how to grow the business. It's not just about hard work now, it's about working smarter building ladders instead of revving the engine at that wall. And that changed everything for me. Looking at, well, wait a second. Why don't I just start modeling the people that are more successful than me in the areas of life that I want to be successful? That was not something that I was given by my dad. That's not something that I realized in New York. It was something that took me until my mid to late 20s to really realize that mentorship, coaching, finding someone who's further along the path than you And asking for their guidance and feedback can allow you to see things, and especially see those blind spots that we're talking about in our own models.
1: We see it in class. How many times a week do we hear a guy saying, I've never had that much fun going out before? And it's only because we switched the model in which he was viewing the experience. Right. It was not results oriented. But also, when it all of a sudden the idea of learning becomes fun again to a problem you find embarrassing, you know, that you're not as social as other people. You know, all of a sudden now working on getting better socially and building this network is now it's not daunting. It's actually fun and something that you want to put more time to because you're now enjoying it. And not only that, having other people in that same boat who have the same issues, putting on a new model themselves, and now all of a sudden, it's completely brand new. We made mention of, I believe it was in the second value podcast, maybe it was the first one. It's difficult to really know what you're actually capable of if you're not surrounded by the right people. That's a big piece in believing in yourself is to throw yourself into something that you're not sure of, But if other people are doing it with you, right, it's always easier to go skydiving if your buddies are going. And all of a sudden, with a few new models and some support and encouragement, you find yourself doing things that in the past you had felt difficult or maybe even impossible. And now you're doing them with a smile on your face, looking forward to the next time you're doing it. And I think
0: going along with what you're saying there, that's so awesome from our perspective now of going through this transition multiple times and changing models is that these models
1: are completely
0: adaptable.
1: Well, I always like to say that growing up in the Midwest is the tool of tenacity and stubbornness, right? It's not a bad tool. It's actually quite a good tool and I owe a lot because of it. However, there's so many other tools that you should learn to use as well.
0: Getting back to what you're saying earlier is, If you're frustrated with the results you're getting, right, you're finding yourself reactive. That's a good place to start saying, you know what, maybe my models are failing me. Maybe I should try to seek out some new mental models and frameworks. The second one is look at your family. There's an entire body of psychological research that reveals that our earliest relationships, especially those with our mother, not only influence how we connect with other adults, in romantic and other contexts, but also create internalized scripts or these models for how relationships work. These are happening at a very formative level, a time in your life when you're not even thinking about this stuff. And you're picking up on these models from your mother, from your father, from your relationships in your household. And sometimes family works great as a mental model. If you have a very healthy nuclear family, everyone's emotionally stable, it's a great model.
1: But to add to that, there's only so many things that you can make important in that family or focus on. Like some families are focused on academics. Some families are focused on art. Some families want to focus on these things. So because there were certain values that were more predominant in other ones, well, then you got the education in that model rather than a different one because there's only so much that you could put forth as what this family is going to be focused on. So taking a step back and saying, okay, how healthy was my family
0: mentally? That's an important question to ask because you're absorbing these models from them. Sometimes having negative emotions and having emotionally unstable upbringing can lead to emotionally unstable modeling of the world.
1: Also keep in mind that we're primates, right? And so that main learning mechanism in a primate is mimicking and that's what you're going to do as much as you hate it and i know right now
0: my dad has passed but there are moments in my life where i picked up my dad's traits that i hated in him when i was younger here they are rearing their
1: ugly head in my life whether you like it or not it's there moments when
0: we're getting reactive good place to say okay my models might be failing me I was getting reactive in graduate school and I was getting really reactive in New York because things were failing even though we were working crazy amounts of hours and trying to out-hustle everyone. That wasn't enough to get me success. And then when I got to New York, I was reactive because I felt lost. I didn't know how to make this thing succeed. I didn't know how to grow this business any further. And I was fortunate enough to find a mentor, someone to give me his successful models and make me look at things differently, questioning our upbringing Looking at the models that we got from our families and taking them in the context of the way we were raised, I'm not saying bash your parents yeah. for raising you this way. I have no hard feelings towards my father for the things that happened in my life, the way he raised me. And
1: I don't think either of us would ever try to hide the fact that we grew up in blue collar working class families. In fact, you know, I do have a certain amount of pride about it because those early frameworks certainly allow me some maneuverability that I could at least work from.
0: I'm proud of growing up where I did and going through what I did. It took me a number of years to gain that pride. I know in my 20s, I was pretty embarrassed by it. And when I surrounded myself in college and graduate school with people from the coast, and I was looked down on for where I was raised, I got butthurt over it. But now I, I laugh about it. I look back as it's a very strong part of my character and who I am. And I'm proud of the fact that I grew up in Detroit. So funny, because even when I hop on the phone with people, they see my 313 area code and they're like, oh, Detroit. I'm like, absolutely. I was born in Detroit. I wear it with pride. I even have the old English D tattooed on my body. So it is a certainly a part of my life. But I also have that context, right? It works for some areas. It's ingrained in me. But there are other times in life where
1: working hard isn't going to cut it. You got to work smart. I think it's that part that's ingrained in us from way back. Where if there's any troubles, like someone would be like, listen, don't mess with AJ because he may seem all Mr. Academia and Mr. Scientist, but uh, he's D-Town in his heart. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, don't mess with Johnny because when things get to a certain point, he's going to go Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think that's that ingrained lizard brain reactive. Like, if all else fails, here's the road I'm going. (laughs) There's one tool I'm grabbing. (laughs)
0: It's The framework we got from our youth. (laughs) The third way to look at your models, right, recapping, first, where are we getting reactive? Where are we getting emotionally charged? That's a good place to say, hey, maybe the way I'm looking at things, my mental framework for reality is off. The second one is looking at your parents and saying, what was happening in their lives that maybe isn't a good way to look at the world that was leading to some trauma, some emotional stress for me and my family? And then the third, we talk about this so much, but it is so near and dear to our hearts because. When you take the time to sit down and write your story, really think about it. Think about the events in your life and write it down, not just daydream about it, not just lay in bed staring at the ceiling, but actually put pen to paper and think about these events, writing out truly what happened, what your emotions were in that time frame is very powerful. And I know, Johnny, you went even a layer deeper.
1: Yeah. We mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier, and he had put together the self-authorship program. I think it's self com, And part of that, the past, is laying all this out. It's heavily backed with a bunch of scientific studies of how committing to these words and choosing them allows you to objectively look at something from a while ago and analyze it for what it is. The self-authoring was so heavy. Granted, I'm a busy person. with playing in bands and AOC and the programs that we run here. And I understood that, but I was determined to finish it. At least the past part. I'm still working on the other stuff. It's a lot of fun. But it took me 10 months. I was excited about it because I had learned so much about myself in that 10 months of doing that. It was like an adventure every time that I did start it. Exactly. That looking back on these events in a concerted fashion,
0: not just randomly, can allow you to see how these models have shaped your decisions in the past and whether or not the models actually fit based on the results you received from choosing that way to look at things. Starting from your youth, and we talk a lot about your narrative, the stories we tell ourselves about our past, our present, and our future characterize our entire existence, allow us to make good choices, bad choices, allow us to connect with people or not to connect with people, all based on our narrative. Taking a look at your past and what events in your life stood out, and then doing a deep dive and writing those out, what truly happened at that event? Because I know sometimes for me, even now, when I think back on events that used to get me all bent out of shape and get me emotional, enough time has now passed. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty silly. I don't really understand why I held that grudge with that person or why I'm so upset by that event. And then sometimes you'll even look back and go, wow, that wasn't even reality. I was viewing this entirely wrong. That person was trying to help me.
1: I love how people always say, well, you need to be able to see it in order for you to achieve it. You need to write that out. And I get that. But also you should look at, do I have models and frameworks that will allow me to achieve this? What good is it to put this car on your wishboard right, if you don't have a model or framework that allows you to achieve that?
0: Mental models are extremely important. They characterize our beliefs about ourselves, the world around us, and characterize and create
1: action or inaction in the future. And it also determines how you process information, how you learn, which is a huge part. One of the things you hear us talk about
0: the show a lot is Experience points equal confidence points and experience is how we grow. But I will tell you this, during my 20s, I didn't value experience that much. I didn't see it as something that important. And a lot of times those negative results, I would get so bent out of shape of, I couldn't see life's lessons in those. I couldn't take those as wins. And that's why taking this hard look at yourself, honestly journaling about your past and looking at these key points in your life can allow you to see where these models are not fitting and these models are
1: underserving your goals. If you don't have many aspirations and you're content with life and you just do your job, whatever it might be, and you go home and you're not pushing the envelope, the mental models that you grew up with, if they're serving well in that capacity, then why change them? Uh, It's not until you go out to get experience or to go after certain things that you're gonna start to see whether or not you have models that do work. Adversity is the easiest way to check your mental models. How you handle that adversity will tell you right away if the models are serving you well or they're not serving you well. Another thing is a lot of people that I meet in self-development, and I'm guilty of it too, I love reading, I love listening to, you know, any sort of podcast I can get with new information. But unless you're putting any of that stuff in practice, it's one ear out the other, including if you're listening to this podcast, and it's easy to say, oh, I know about mental models, but i fine. Well, yeah, well, are you doing anything to push them? Are you doing anything to test them out? Because if you're not, then you don't really know what you have. You could say that you have good models, but until you start going after something, you're not gonna know anything about it. You're not gonna know how good it is. So
0: models are important. We went over some of our earliest formative models about hard work, tenacity, outwork, everyone around you, blue-collar mindset in the Midwest, moving to a big city, where it became apparent that social capital and your relationships were how you navigated living in a big city and maybe even how you became successful, starting to value more than just your hard-earned capital or assets, but the soft skills and the relationships in your life. But unfortunately, the way that I modeled that was transactionally, looking for how that other person could help me immediately. And then moving to LA and having hardship in the business and realizing that Some of my models weren't fitting with what I wanted to get out of life and seeking out mentorship and some guidance and outside perspective. And this mentor that I was talking about, he came from a much different background. He was wealthy to begin with. His dad supported him to build his first business. He got a lot of success on his own along the way, but he certainly didn't grow up in the Midwest. He didn't have that hard fought way to view success. And he allowed me to see things a little differently, going back to that, hey, it's not just about hard work, it's about being smarter about things, and it's about taking experiences lessons. So that's how I've shifted my models over the years, and I can look back at specific instances where my modeling led to frustration, led to the dissolution of relationships that mattered to me, strife in my emotional life and also led to us not being as successful as we wanted with the business. And those frustrations led to me seeking out new models. So that's a great place to start. Where are you feeling emotional frustration stress related to the world around you? Are you getting reactive? Also, journaling, writing down these thoughts, writing down your experiences, especially from your past, and Jordan Peterson's self-authorship program is one of the great ways to do that. It's pretty involved, but it'll walk you through all of this. And then also starting to celebrate the small wins along the way, because sometimes our mental model doesn't allow us to see growth. Our mental model only allows us to see failure and mischaracterizes failure as something detrimental to us. And that's an important one we'd love to leave you listening to this with, understanding that growth happens through experience. That's how we've been able to grow the business, and that's how we've been able to grow as humans. And I think that is really an important model for everyone as we start to move away from scarcity, move towards this abundance
1: mindset. One of the things that I wanted to add, you mentioned this earlier, but I wanna make sure it's clear again. If you're asking yourself, okay, this all sounds great, what are your models? That's a giant worm. And as we continue with this podcast, we're gonna continue to give you more tools to shape that. If you go back to the last three, the revisited value episodes, you'll get a great working model right there to start with.
0: Yeah, that is our number one most important mental model for how to view people. It takes the transactional viewpoint of relationships out of it and allows you to focus on being a better person first and see the results that come from that instead of trying to control and manipulate the people around you. Now, over the last four episodes, we've learned about AOC's most important mental model And I know we got a lot of feedback on those episodes. We really appreciate the support. Now you understand how we arrived at that model, that viewpoint of value first and abundance over the years. And it was not something easy for us. We've gone through the journey and now we're happy to share it with everyone who comes through the boot camp. And obviously, those of you who are listening to the show, understanding that your family is doing the best with what they have and the tools that have been given. And sometimes our community and where we're raised nurtures beliefs in us that might be a little unhealthy and mental models that might be an incomplete picture of reality and seeking out opportunities like Johnny said to poke holes in those models, to look at them from a different viewpoint, to challenge the way we see things. For us, that happened from moving, changing our environment completely, moving to New York, not knowing one, then moving to L.A. And I can tell you this. There are some mental models in LA that have been negative to me that we've also picked up through immersion from being here and you struggle with. Understanding that materialism and the excessive capitalism that you'll see in some of these coastal cities can be detrimental to your mental health as
1: well. And also the focus out here on everybody's social media is just so ridiculous. Just making sure that I limit myself to not get sucked into those things. And we've talked in great detail in the last three value episodes about how toxic those things can be, if not looked at in the right manner. We
0: have to celebrate our new team members here who helped us prepare the show. Yes. David, thank you so much for the wonderful work on the mental models and frameworks. We are very happy to share our stories with you guys on our mental models and frameworks and how they've influenced our lives. Hopefully you got a much better picture of who we are and what to expect from us on the show moving forward. We want to do a special shout out to Bruno, one of our alumni. After listening to the value episodes over the last few weeks, he wrote us to tell us about a quick story called the ring of value. I'd love to share with you real quick. He was sitting at an airport bar waiting for a drink and he saw the guy next to him and he tried to start a conversation, but the guy was very closed off and Bruno said, you know what? Not a big deal. Let me put my focus on giving some value to the bartender. So he notices the bartender is Filipino. And he had actually spent some time in the Philippines. So he goes on Google, looks up how to say thank you in his native tongue and actually sparks a great conversation with the bartender. Bartender starts asking him about his experience in the Philippines. He mentions he's in the Navy. And lo and behold, the guy sitting next to him goes from closed body language to fully open, turns to Bruno and starts sharing stories about the Navy and working in the exact same industry. And he called this his ring of value. How understanding, this is so important, understanding that it's not about projecting your value on other people and getting upset when they don't reciprocate, but it's instead about focusing on how you can allow other people an opportunity to interact with you and be positive. All of a sudden, this changes everything. The closed off person next to him that he didn't just write off and say, screw this guy turned out to be someone who he could connect with on a much deeper level just by bringing up everyone around him. The cool part about this is we would love to hear stories from you listening about how you've used the tools that we'll be outlining on these upcoming episodes in your life and what are those results. We love seeing the impact of everything that we've learned over the years. We know it's changed both of our lives immensely and the lives of our clients who've come through the week-long experience here in Los Angeles with us. We're also going to start live streaming the podcast in our challenge group we're rebooting the challenge April 1st so we'll get some more information over to you about that and we're going to start answering your questions on the show so if you have questions you'd love for us to answer in terms of social skills building some confidence relationships networking feel free to shoot me the question aj at the art of charm i look forward to answering
1: these questions with johnny on future episodes (laughs) I hope you all enjoyed this Toolbox episode of Mental Models and Frameworks as much as AJ and I had putting it together for you guys. Now, if you found this insightful,
0: take a screenshot on your phone and share it on your Instagram story page, Twitter. Share it with your friends, family, and allow other people to join in the fun here on The Art of Charm. If you are enjoying the recent content, we would love a written review in iTunes, letting people know what you enjoyed about the show. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Acuity Scheduling, and Freshworks for sponsoring the show. If you're interested in learning more about what we do here in Los Angeles, how to overcome that social anxiety, get out of your head, start connecting with people, and making a meaningful first impression, you can learn more at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. If you dug this show, subscribe in iTunes. We look forward to hitting
2: you next week with another Toolbox episode.